I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Chapter 7 Entertainment Hanoi women didn't usually drink alcohol or smoke cigarettes and certainly didn't take drugs. In the very conservative world of proper Hanoi families, these vices were considered very rebellious, if not shameful indeed. However, they got up to other things as marginally discreet lovers' lanes circled the foreshore of the many lakes in the city, as well as around the perimeter of what was Lenin Park. Young couples desperately seeking a modicum of privacy would park their motorcycles a metre or two apart. Hundreds of groping and fornicating couples alone, together. For the more adventurous, a trip across the river to Tsar Lom Town for a discreet honeymoon half-hour relieved the sexual tension. Narque is the derogatory term assigned by classier Hanoians, either to the hard-working bumpkins from the countryside or to their unsophisticated pastimes. An edict was passed during my time in Hanoi that prohibited the wearing of underwear, who were to be appointed the underwear police and carry out inspections was not made clear. This poorly worded directive was in the lead-up to an important meeting of visiting overseas dignitaries. It was a clumsy attempt to target the multitudes of Hanoians who liked to cool off or even bathe in the public fountains. There was nowhere else. Or to those who preferred an evening walk dressed in their pyjamas. Both activities were considered very narque. Mums and dads with children in tow would take in the evening air, buying ice cream or other treats, while parading throughout the neighbourhood in cotton fleeces, plastered in Hello Kitty or Superman characters. School days start early in Vietnam. Mandatory classes mean that children are enrolled from about the age of two. Tiny kids dressed in white and blue uniforms with a smart red kerchief would be trundled, carried or driven on a motorbike early each morning past the bookshop by maids, parents or grandparents to be deposited at the local school houses till lunchtime. Additional classes in the afternoon or evening could be scheduled at further expense to the family. Not much time existed for hobbies or fun. School included Saturday mornings and any spare time should be spent on extra classes or studying. A break on Sunday was restricted for family or for visits to grandparents or other relatives. Badminton was played everywhere each evening, well suited to a town without much public green space and where swimming pools, gyms or other venues for exercise were limited or priced out of reach for regular families. Likely inspired by television, a climbing wall appeared near the bookshop. It consisted of shards of cement plastered to a brick laneway fence not fully thought out, the fence was only a metre and a half high, but kudos for trying. Vietnamese, like other Asians, are crazy about football. Everybody knows the names of the elite players from the European and British teams. 
Manchester United was known to everyone, but when pressed, few could find the UK on a map. A lack of general knowledge is sadly not unique to Hanoi. Westerners, for example, might have known the achievements of Neil Armstrong. To Hanoians, he was completely unknown. They were far more likely to name Yuri Gagarin or their own homegrown cosmonaut, Pham Tuan, who flew with the Russian Intercosmos programme and featured in many propaganda art posters. Older Hanoians who frequented the bookshop would search for pre-1960 titles. Their exposure to contemporary Western and particularly American authors having been extinguished at the start of the Vietnamese War. I introduced one older Vietnamese gentleman to George Orwell's Animal Farm. Allegedly, it was available, hidden away in the Hanoi Public Library, but he'd never heard of the author or the book. I eagerly gave it to him for free, with the proviso he must come back for a cup of coffee and tell me exactly what he thought of the story. Ordinary businesses in Hanoi sometimes dovetailed nicely with a range of borderline illicit ventures. One was located near the bookshop. A seedy nightclub with tiny spaces, lots of mirrors, harsh lights and very young go-go girls and pole dancers. The clientele was varied, to say the least. Two-year-olds on the hips of their fathers were intrigued by the contortions of a pole dancer, while mothers stood by, sipping a lemon juice. Various foreign men were enticed by the bar girls of these clubs and who always seemed to marry the accountant but never the front-of-house entertainment. Bars around Hanoi were prolific and opened and closed with great regularity. A club that existed briefly in the same street as the bookshop was an upmarket venue that had somehow received planning permission to be constructed in the backyard of a dilapidated French villa, much to the annoyance of the incumbent renters. Every inch of the garden was consumed by the venue. The entrance to the club ran along the boundary and was made from corrugated iron sheeting and sprayed with soundproofing in some small consideration to its unfortunate and increasingly sleep-deprived neighbour. It was like walking through a long drain. Eventually, it opened onto a large dance floor, surrounded by a mezzanine with private tables and viewing platforms. Until it fell foul of the authorities and was shut down, BMWs and other luxury wheels of the Nouveau Riche parked outside the bookshop every evening and stayed all night. Dancers would perform on high perches dotted around the club, accessed by small lifts. The music was bumped up to 11. Tables of young, rich Vietnamese hovered around pricey bottles of Chivas Regal, Johnny Walker Blue and VSOP Napoleon Brandy in a fog of conspicuous consumption, mixing any and all with Coca-Cola, ice and lemon. The Monaco Club, despite its name, was fairly down-market. Lots of bar girls, dim lights, questionable choice of music and not much else. The Titanic was a similar bar-dance club on a barge in the Red River that had the advantage of being away from the complaining neighbours, but sometimes introducing a drunk patron to the swift current. The Hagwum Club, meanwhile, was located upstairs on the edge of Huan Kiam Lake, Early in its life, it offered a cabaret of good-humoured and cheesy local dancers. New owners proclaimed the arrival of more raunchy Saigon girls. Snobby Hanoi code for something less than respectable. Guernica was a nightclub that opened with an impressive mural of the original along the internal wall. 
Jammed between a fertility clinic and a loudly buzzing high-voltage transformer, it raised the question, perhaps, of cause and effect for its regular patrons. The Apocalypse Now nightclub was located in a former knitting factory, Knit One, Pearl Two. That wasn't the name, but possibly better than the more likely Knitting Factory Number Six. It featured a friendly and varied clientele, terrible music, and ancient Tom and Jerry cartoons projected on a large screen. Unsurprisingly, my entertainment consisted of reading everything, both to understand the types of books customers preferred, and to help make better purchases from the publishers and warehouses. I would devour about a book a day, speed reading my way through novels, romances, history, biographies. It was essential. But at such a pace, consequently, I'm not sure I remember any of them. Ironically, Nora Ephraim's "I Remember Nothing" comes to mind. Books had become like TV, a blur of typefaces and stories leeching through my brain. I didn't possess a television. I didn't miss it. Local channels provided a steady fodder of singing generals, talent shows, and soap operas. The downside was that living without a TV. Meant that if one was operating in my vicinity, I would be mesmerised by the moving pictures, transfixed by table tennis live from High Farm or farm reports from Ving, pleading with people nearby to shh. I couldn't miss a single enthralling moment. Various customers worked in subtitling local soap operas or movies in English. The storylines were fairly mediocre, with appalling dialogue. Particularly if a foreigner or Tay character was involved, one scene I recall had a Vina girl unconvincingly seduced with the immortal line, "Best of all, our love does not contravene government regulations." Other customers became national celebrities by hosting English-learning TV shows put out by the bigger language schools in town. Schoolgirls of the Future was a panel quiz show presented by a groovy English guy. The sponsor was a company that manufactured sanitary napkins, and in a salute to the bleeding obvious, not so groovy, gigantic stainless steel Inox sanitary napkins had been commissioned and installed as the backdrop for the set. Entertainment of a different kind could be found at a nearby Vietnamese restaurant that broadcast surgical operations. The gorier, the better, during the lunch hour. The patrons took no notice whatsoever of an orthopedic surgeon hammering into a bloodied hip while they slurped down their noodles, rice, and vegetables. The menu listed everything from turtles to bear to crocodile, bull penis soup, and even a side of porcupine was on offer. I'd guess most dishes were less exotic variations of the standard dead dog fare, but I would sometimes see spiny porcupines tied for sale in a street near the railway station. Destined for that restaurant or some other local dinner plate, vegetarians had a rough time in Hanoi and Vietnam in general. Nearly all food was cooked in pork or chicken fat, with the meaty bits wrenched out just before leaving the kitchen. Choosing to be a vegetarian was yet another highly confusing foreigner behaviour. Hanoi people had difficulty understanding why anyone would choose not to eat meat. When in their post-war history, obtaining any meat at all was a luxury. A Vietnamese friend confided that this confusion was also because meat was interpreted as flesh. Vegetarians would graciously be offered huge steaming bowls of pig's gut, kidneys, or other offal, 
because it wasn't meat, it was from the inside. Very few places offered vegetarian options, apart from one restaurant serving monk food. It consisted of meat substitute made from bean paste with added colouring and flavourings to taste of meat. Fake sausages, fake ham, fake chicken legs and fake gravy adorned the menu. Customers in search of some decent meat-free food would be directed to an Indian restaurant run by the genial Mr Gopi, who did a roaring trade based on recommendations from the bookshop. Vietnam is famous for its coffee, and the usual brew available in Hanoi was the high-caffeine Robusta variety, grown and processed in central Vietnam, from where it was exported by the tonne as various famous instant coffee brands. The more expensive Arabica and Mocha varieties were faked all over town by roasting Robusta coffee beans in chicken fat. This made the local drip-filter beverage smoother, vaguely chocolatey, but smeared with a light film of oil, resulting in a strange but not unpleasant taste with a kick like a mule. Also available was weasel shit coffee, a highly priced and allegedly sought-after commodity by unknown connoisseurs. Wild, or more likely caged, civet cats are fed green coffee beans, the beans are able to pass through their system undigested, but while in alimentary transit, they become imbibed with a unique flavour. The magic beans are collected from the cat's droppings, hopefully washed, but certainly sold at exorbitant prices. In the absence of a clouder of rare civet cats in Hanoi, how someone would likely be faking those beans didn't bear thinking about. I was sometimes lucky enough to be invited by various customers to national days hosted by the many embassies located in town. A sought-after invitation was from the Turkish ambassador. I failed to understand why there was a Turkish embassy in a place that seemed without any trade or tourism links. Turkish citizens in the country, I was reliably informed, numbered 18, 11 of whom worked at the embassy. The ambassador, a delightful man, and probably at a loose end, became a frequent visitor to the bookshop. Besides being a voracious reader, he put enormous effort into organising their national day, with hundreds in attendance to celebrate with an extravaganza of Turkish cuisine. It outshone other embassy events hands down. I once attended a fundraising dinner at one of the large hotels in the hope that it would put me in pole position for winning one of the many donated prizes. More specifically, I was in desperate need of a holiday and several were on offer, weekends in Singapore, Saigon or Bangkok, a sojourn in Hong Kong. I'd done the numbers, I was in with a shot. As more and more fantastic holidays were read out to the assembled crowd, Undeserving winners walked off 13 times with my holiday. My spoon trailed through the moose infusion. The grand prize was announced. Yep, I'd won. A diamond ring. Far too small for my meaty foreign paws, but offered with a gracious promise to resize. Bring it in on Monday. Not likely. Then it wouldn't fit the tiny-boned Vietnamese girl I was going to find and sell it to over the weekend. In the following days, I made serious attempts to matchmake customers, fortuitously producing an engagement ring to seal the deal. I proposed to a few more. Some were frightened, 
but none were interested. I walked the streets of the old quarter's jewellery stores. I discovered a few things. Vietnamese didn't like diamonds. At least, they didn't then. Jade or gold were far more intriguing. I spruked my ring from one end of town to the other. My holiday slipping further from my grasp. Defeated, I sold my rock for half the price of a discount airfare to Bangkok. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 